We're going to jump into the scriptures again, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We started a new series last week on vision, and we're talking here about the vision of our church. Kind of looking back at what God has done in the past, we have a long, rich history of 253 years. Looking at the present, what God is doing right here in our midst, right here and right now, at this season of ministry and of life of the church. And then also dreaming (laughs) about the future, thinking about what God might do, uh, where He's leading us and what He wants from us next. And this will lead us right up into our annual meeting coming up on, on May 6th. And all of those sermons are going to come right here out of 1 Timothy. Last week we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we looked at Jesus-centered uh, community. That's our vision as a church. Um, and last week we looked at Jesus-centered faithfulness in particular. Uh, faithful going forward into the future. But today we're going to look at Jesus-centered leadership. Because that's what he's covering right, right here in chapter 3. And now you might say, well, I'm not a leader, Rick, here at the church, so I can sort of tune out, right? I don't need to pay attention. No, this should also have something in there for you. You could probably kind of take a little brief nap on point one, uh, but the second and third point is going to apply to all of us, okay? So uh, stay with me, even if you're not in leadership or not interested in leadership, I think it still applies to to each of us. But when we think about Jesus-centered community, and we think about where we want to go in the future, uh, leadership is extremely important. Godly Christian leadership is extremely important of what it means for us to be a Jesus-centered community. To have men and women who are devoted to serve the church, giving of their time and their energy and their effort. Um, People who love Jesus have been redeemed by His grace. People whose lives have been transformed and who show that by example. That their character has been transformed by God's grace in Christ And they end up being leaders by example more than even by voice. And then people who are willing to stick it out. People who are not just new converts, but people who have been tested and who are teaching and who are exemplary in their actions. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to cover 1 to 13, verses 1 to 13. We read this. Paul says, "The, the, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a sneer of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves 
and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Church leadership is an essential part of Jesus-centered community. There's an outline in your bulletin if you're somebody who likes to follow along and see where we're going. Um, and you can take a look. And if you're someone who likes to take notes, there's plenty of room for note-taking. Um, there's some people who love taking notes and it helps them remember. Other people say, I just want to sit and listen. So it's up to you. Uh, but the first point here, and I'm going to skip around just a little bit. In verse 1, actually that should say 1 semicolon 13. Uh, verse 1 and verse 13, what we see here is that church, being in church leadership is a good thing. <laughs> Being in church leadership is a good thing. Now notice what he says in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. We had mentioned last week that that sort of uh, preface to when he, when he says something. Um, is, he uses five times. All five in the pastoral epistles. So 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And usually it precedes something very important. It always precedes something very important. Um, usually it precedes the gospel. So for example, we looked at last week. He says, this saying is trustworthy, worthy of, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's pretty important when you say, I mean, that's nothing more important than that. That's the gospel, that Christ came to save sinners. So whenever he uses that phrase, it's sort of like, listen up, pay attention, I'm going to say something very important. And interestingly enough, what he says in this section is, if someone aspires to the office of overseer. So overseer is is an elder, a, a leader of the church, a pastor of the church. If somebody desires to be a leader in the church, an elder of the church, he desires a noble task. The first thing to note here is, it's good to desire to be an elder. Um, I've heard someone, somebody once told me, they said, uh, if somebody wants to be an elder, that's evidence that they shouldn't be one. And I know what he was getting at. He was saying there should be a certain humility about it and all that. But actually, this verse says the exact opposite. <laughs> you should want to desire to be an elder. Somebody who wants to be in leadership or wants to serve the church, that's a good thing. In fact, he describes it as a noble task. I like that. I mean, what do we, how much do we do that is actually noble? You know, it's, you don't, you don't serve a church, serve in leadership in a church, particularly those who are volunteering, because you get something great out of it. Uh, You don't do it because you're going to get paid a lot of money. In fact, you're not going to pay anything for it. Uh, You're not going to get a lot of credit. In fact, you're probably going to get a lot of criticism. (laughs) It's not easy to serve the local church, but it is noble. It is noble. It is a good thing that people do. So, first thing, it's a good thing to pursue leadership in the local church. He wants to set that out from the beginning. Getting involved, jumping in, and serving your local church is a noble task. Even if there's not a lot of credit that you gain from it. But I want to say, look how he ends after talking about deacons in verse 13. Kind of summarizes again this idea that it's a good thing. It's good for us to serve in the church. For those who serve well. So notice there are people who serve and don't serve well. (laughs) So you can be a deacon and not be a good deacon. That's possible, of course. Uh, But he's saying those who serve the church well. uh, What happens? Uh, Deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves. And uh, the commentary is sort of divided as to what he's getting at here. Does he mean here that they get a good standing in the church? So they get sort of recognition in the church. Uh, I would have a problem with that interpretation because Paul would say you don't, you're not looking for worldly recognition. Well, the others say, well, no, does he mean a good standing uh, with God? Well, no, I would say I have a gospel problem with that. Our standing with God comes only in Christ. We don't gain a better standing with God uh, simply by uh, serving as a deacon. So what is he talking about here? I think he's talking about assurance. Uh, they gain a good sense of who they are. That the one who jumps in and serves their local church knows that they belong to Christ. If I wasn't serving the church, I wouldn't belong to Jesus. Right? What would be the purpose of devoting my time and energy and resources to serving my church as a leader unless I really belong to him? There's a certain assurance of faith that we belong to Jesus that comes 
by serving your church. And he kind of says something similar next. Also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So a certain confidence about your faith. Uh, if you're sort of on the side, uh, not doing anything in your church, and you, you, know, you believe in Jesus, you may constantly be questioned, do I really belong to him? Do I really know him? My life hasn't really been changed and transformed that much. And serving, getting involved, jumping in, doing ministry, being used by God, is one way that God gives us assurance and confidence of our faith. I just want to say, you may notice that there are two different uh, offices here. Actually, in Scripture, interestingly enough, um, there are only two offices uh, there is the office of overseer, which is the same as an elder, which is the same as a pastor, a uh, shepherd of the church. That's, that's basically the same office he's talking about here. And we have elders at our church. Some of them are our volunteer elders. Um, and in fact, if you don't know who they are, um, it's just important for our regular attenders to hear this. If you're visiting, uh, don't worry about this, obviously. But the elders are Adam Sutton, Dennis DeGenero, Al Seavey, and Joe Harrington. So if you have never met them, if you don't know, you're wondering. I've talked to people all the time. I say, who are your elders? And they say, I'm not sure exactly. And they maybe can pick one or two. So it's important for us to know who our elders are. Those are our elders. So that's one office. The other office of the church is that of a, of a deacon. A deacon is somebody who is not really responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church, uh, someone who's not responsible for the teaching of the word, but somebody who is in some type of leadership as a servant. In fact, the word deacon means servant. So it's almost an oxymoron, a servant leader. Uh, But somebody who leads a ministry or leads an area of ministry that that oversees a ministry of the church. That's a deacon, and it's a formal office in Scripture. It's someone you put into a position who now is responsible for that very thing. And I'm not going to give you the list of deacons, but these are the areas, for example, that our church has deacons. We want people, someone who's responsible to oversee this area. We look at the congregation, we think about who would be a good fit for this type of ministry, and we put them in it, and they meet once a month and talk to it as well. We have a deacon of communion, somebody who's responsible to oversee communion, that we have People who come and serve for communion, uh, that the elements are all here. And so, you know, you guys, most of you guys show up uh, the first Sunday of the month and it's all ready and prepared and you sit there and receive the communion. Well, something has to go into preparing that for us, right? Uh, make sure everything is clean and, and ready and organized. We have a deacon of women. Uh, because all of our elders are men, we want to have deacon of women who are serving in that capacity, ministering to the women of our church in, in, in ways that perhaps the elders can't. Deacons of financial assistance. I've talked about this before, but many times people come to us with needs. Somebody can't pay their electric bill for this month. Somebody needs some help with putting food on the table. Uh, somebody comes to us in a cold winter and says they shut the heat off. And we need, as a church, want to say, we're here to serve you. We want to help you. Uh, well, there has to be some way of overseeing that, vetting that, and looking over that. That's our deacon of financial assistance. We have two of them. A deacon of welcoming, just making sure that when you step into this church, you're welcomed. Um, and especially if you're a newcomer, that you are welcomed when you come in and you know where everything is. You know where Kid Town is. You know where the restrooms are. You get information about the church if that's what you want. Those are our deacons of welcoming. Deacon of shut-ins who get out and literally go and visit people who are shut into their home or a nursing home or a hospital and pray with them and care for them. And lastly, deacons of event planning. Uh, We have a lot of special events. Um, Really too much for me to oversee. I couldn't oversee it. I'm not even a great event planner in general. So we have people who are really gifted at overseeing events. Like Jeannie, who is doing the sign-up, don't forget, after the service. So <laughs> for, next, for, for May, the May 6th meeting, if you want to help with cooking, see Jeannie, because she's one of our deacons of event planning. They're responsible for the practical oversight of the practical needs 
of the local church. In fact, interestingly enough, we kind of talked about this when we went through our Constitution review. And one of the things we found is that these are the only offices in Scripture. Uh, there aren't any other ones. There's only these two. There's, uh, there's pastors, overseers, and elders, which are all the same, and then there are deacons. I know the church likes to have all these other different officers, um, but really, every other officer fits into a deacon, even if we don't call it by that name. You're overseeing a practical ministry of the local church. Also notice that there is no office of bishop, or cardinal, or archbishop, or pope, or anything else. The local church seems to be where God is at work, and these are where he sets the officers. I just want to say, too, that uh, if you're here, uh, this church runs on volunteers. I mean, we have some paid staff. And uh, Pastor Mike and I are, of course, our, our elders in a sense, too, as well, responsible for the teaching and ministry of the church. But so much of what happens in this church is done by volunteers. Think about that. I, I can't imagine another organization as large as the local church, local churches across the world, that is run almost entirely by volunteer labor. And your service is not serving us, it's not serving me, it's serving the Lord. And that's why. Uh, one of, uh, one of the, the preacher yesterday, so African-American preacher from Georgia, and man, he nailed it yesterday. Anyone who was here yesterday, he was incredible. But one of the, he had this one line that stuck with me. He said to the pastor who was being uh, installed, he said, you may be given the church keys, but remember who has the church deed, <laughs> who is the Lord, right? So the church belongs to him, and when we serve it, we're serving ultimately him, not even one another ultimately, but the Lord Almighty. Friends, thankful. Be thankful for church leaders. It's a good thing that people are jumping in and they're willing to serve. All right, look at 2 to 12, which is really the bulk of this passage. And again, if you're visiting, tune back in. All right, so you're, hopefully you're back with us now, because this will apply to all of us here. One of the interesting things, what he says about church leaders, is that their primary responsibility is to be a good example. Isn't that interesting? It's not competency. It's not a certain skill. It's not a certain gifting. It's to be a good example. To have a character that is such that you walk as a Christian man or a Christian woman in a way that others can look up to. That's the primary role of a church leader. I think that's really interesting. Look at verse 2. He describes them here. We're going to walk through this together. Uh, Therefore, an overseer, so sticking with the elders here, must be above reproach. And that's sort of an overall statement about their character. He's not saying they have to be perfect. Uh, Otherwise, nobody would make the list, of course, right? He's not saying they can have no sin involved. But overall, there's no unrepentant, gross sin uh, that's involved here. They're above reproach. And he begins to spell out what that means. He describes them here as a husband of one wife. Uh, That phrase has caused a lot of controversy in the church and still does. What does he mean by a husband of one wife? Some people think he's talking here about polygamy. Um, Polygamy was very rare in the first century and almost certainly is not what he's referring to here. Other people say, if you've been divorced in your life, then you can't be in church leadership. uh, That you're no longer a husband of one wife. I don't think that's what he's getting at. What it says literally is, he is a one-woman man. It's somebody who is faithful to the wife that he's married to. Uh, It's somebody who doesn't have a mistress on the side. Uh, It's somebody who is not looking at internet porn at home. It's somebody who loves his wife, cherishes his wife, and cares for her. And I would even say it doesn't mean that he has to be married. Um, If if he's single, he's saying if they're married. Jesus himself was not married. So if those who say that uh, an elder or leader, church leader, has to be married, you're disqualifying Jesus. That's a problem. Uh, if If your church requirement for eldership 
disqualifies Jesus, you need to change your requirement for office, right? So, husband of one wife, is, man, he's a faithful husband. He takes care of his family. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. So he's somebody who is honorable, somebody who is wise. Um, hospitable. Somebody who's willing to open his home. Uh, he's willing to maybe have missionaries come stay over or invite a newcomer over for dinner or care for those in the church who need a place to visit in the holidays. He's hospitable. Able to teach, we'll come back to. But then verse 3, he talks here about uh, different things that he avoids. That he avoids. He is not a drunkard. Uh, not somebody who is every Friday night hitting the bars and getting wasted, getting plastered. That's not happening. Not violent but gentle. He's not someone getting in fist fights in the streets during the week either. Uh, not a violent person. Not quarrelsome. He's not someone always looking for an argument, always looking for a fight. Who's the next person I can get into it with? No, he's not a lover of money. He's not filled with greed. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, I love this, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, because if he can't take care of his family, how can he take care of the church? This is a basic principle. For any one of us, our family is our first line of ministry. Uh, you're called to take care of your spouse. You're called to take care of your kids. And honestly, if you can't do that, then take a step, step back from ministering in your church and focus on taking care of your family. Because that's your first line. That's, the, that's who you're going to be responsible to God for first and foremost, before you're responsible for the church. Again, not that he's, he is perfect in this case, but is his family in order, then go and seek to take care of the bigger household, your spiritual family, the local church, a broader picture. Must be well thought of by outsiders. Again, nothing scandalous in his life that outsiders say, how could that guy end up being in leadership? I know what he's doing on the weekends. Not a good thing. I think really the, the, but the most surprising the most outstanding thing about this list is that there is nothing surprising or outstanding about it. <laughs> Basically that, he's saying, a church leader is somebody who is an example. Uh, is someone who does what every Christian is called to do, but does it in an exemplary way. When we come to deacons, we see almost the exact same thing. Uh, likewise, deacons should be dignified. They have a life that is exemplary. Not double-tongued as an addition. And I think that's certainly true of elders. You don't want elders to be double-tongued. But somebody who is dishonest, says one thing in one situation, acts a totally different way, speaks a totally different way in another. Somebody who is slanderous, who is gossipy with their tongue. I think that can be a particular issue with deacons because they're involved in the church and they're involved in a lot of what goes on in the church and they can easily fall and succumb to gossip. So it's something he warns against for the deacons. But again, someone who takes care of their family, a one-woman man. There's one issue, verse 11, I just want to talk about briefly. Uh, their wives, likewise, must be dignified. There's a question if what he really means here is wives or women. Uh, actually, the word there is just the Greek word for women. Uh, so it may not be talking about the wives of deacons, but rather about deaconesses, uh, female leaders in the church. Uh, that they similarly or should be exemplary in the way they act. I find it interesting. That God's main concern for church leaders is character. Isn't it? It's better to have a person who is not a good teacher. <laughs> Somebody whose preaching is mediocre. Somebody who is stuttering or speaks without much power. Better to have someone like that whose character is exemplary than somebody who has a silver tongue 
but whose life doesn't reflect it. There was, it was said about one pastor before that when he preached, he preached so well, people wished he never left the pulpit. But when he left, he lived so badly, people wished he would never enter the pulpit again. <laughs> That's not what you want. You want someone's life to be reflected by the way they teach and they preach by their, by their leadership. As I said, uh, we had the opportunity to go to Martha's Vineyard. I thought that was uh, just a good day trip. We're in and out of there. You've got to take the ferry to get there and get back. And if you know anything about Martha's Vineyard, that's the, the, the president sort of vacation place, right? How many presidents there was? The Kennedys started it, I think, and the Clintons and the Obamas. And this is not, this is not political, so whatever side you can, you can choose. All of these incredible, amazing uh, leaders, political leaders, love to vacation there. The interesting thing, none of those presidents, and I could include the other side too, don't, don't, I'm not picking, I'm not playing any politics here, would be qualified to be an elder in this church. Some of the best <laughs> leaders our country's had would not be qualified to serve as an elder here because it's not about skill or ability, but about faith and character. Or you use a different category. Look at our business leaders. We could take Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, of Facebook, whatever. Take the best leaders in business. None of those three would be qualified to be an elder at our church. I find that amazing. It's not about qualifications uh, based on competency, but character and faith. Friends, do your elders have that example? Do they display what Christian character is supposed to look like? Again, we understand, friends, that they should be growing towards this. There, there's nobody who is... Arrived, nobody who said, I've reached perfection. In fact, the moment you say, I've reached the perfection of this list, you just disqualified yourself because of pride, right? So everybody's in the process. But friends, what you do with the congregation is you're looking at the church and saying, who in here is an exemplary Christian man? Who in this congregation is an exemplary Christian woman? That's the first qualification for them. Are our church leaders good examples? When we think about the future of our church and we think about Jesus-centered leadership, this is what we need. People who love the Lord and whose lives have been transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. They belong to Him. First, then we go from there. I just want to pick out a few uh, interesting ones. Again, I said this is an example to our our church. and So this is true not just of our leaders, but all of us. Um, I wonder, uh, is this true of you? Is this true of you? Are you a a one-woman man? Or are you a one-man woman if you're a, uh, a woman who's married? Are you somebody who's faithful to your spouse and cares well for them? And one of the things we as a church want to be is a church that absolutely raises up marriage as a good thing that God gives to some of his children, of some of his people, our members. And we want to encourage, strengthen healthy marriages. And similarly, are you a good parent to your kids? Are you taking care of your kids first and foremost? Uh, friends, if you're out every night serving the church and your kids never see you, stop coming to church. <laughs> yeah, your pastor just told you, don't come to Bible study. If that's what it means, that you're ignoring your family, go and spend some time with your family. Take care of your household first. I love this calling to be hospitable too. Um, I hope that's true of us as a church. I hope we are a hospitable church. I hope we're a church that if you are a newcomer, and you newcomers, if you want to give me feedback, that would be great, um, that when you come here, you're welcomed here. Uh, that you know where you're supposed to go, that people have talked to you and cared for you, uh, that you've got all the information that you want, that you're inv- you understand how to get involved in ministry beyond Sunday morning into small group, community groups, uh, or whatever, serving in open hearts. You, you know what you need. You, you've been welcomed and cared for here. Are we a hospitable church?
And I hope we are. But he calls us here to, as leaders to model to the whole church what we all should be doing. Notice then in, verse, in the third point here, there are some things that he points out uniquely about leaders. So there are a few things that go beyond character and are perhaps a, a little bit beyond that. And we see here, some are called to be tested, mature, and teaching. And one of the things he says about elders and deacons is they should not be a recent convert. Um, they shouldn't be somebody who is new to the faith. Um, somebody who has just recently came to know Jesus. And that's for obvious reason, he says, because somebody who is new to the faith hasn't been tested. They haven't been tried. They haven't faced the hard times of the Christian life, faced the difficulties and had to have to endure through them. It's kind of like when you first fall in love, right? What happens when you first fall in love? You look at your girlfriend, you know, and you say, oh, she can do no wrong. <laughs> and you're walking on a cloud and everything is going so well. And if no one can even talk any sense into you, if somebody says, well, if you, see, if you talked about, you know, this difficulty and these differences, you say, oh, that's nothing. No, no, there's no problem. Everything is so great. In some sense, when somebody comes new to the faith, isn't that, aren't they like that? There's a passion for the Lord. There's an excitement about God. They feel like they can go and do anything. They'll go and give up everything and go serve the Lord in a foreign country or they'll go and hit the streets and share the gospel with anyone that they see and they're, they're so excited because this is all new and exciting. And I love that and that's good and we can learn from that and gain some of that sort of excitement to us, to all of us. But for church leadership, he says let the person be tested because like that person who's fallen in love, <laughs> you hit hard times and difficulties and anyone that's been married here for a long period of time knows that marriage isn't all peaches and cream. That you have to work through those hard times together. Whether that's differences or sicknesses or uh, whatever it may be. Financial struggles and issues. Are you able to, to stick it out? And what he's looking for here in church leaders is somebody who has been a Christian for long enough that they've seen the ups and downs. They faced the doubts. They faced cancer. Or the loss of a loved one, and their faith is still strong through it. That's what he's looking for. Somebody who has dealt with all the objections and the issues of the Christian faith. How can you believe Jesus is the only way? Do you really believe in hell and all these? How can you believe in a God who allows that kind of suffering that these kids in the cancer ward in Boston, and they still walk with God and love the Lord? Are they tested? Is their faith one that can last through whatever? The last thing you want, as he says, is you put somebody into leadership too quickly, and what does it lead to? It leads to pride. And friends, if I have to say, I've seen this happen so many times, um, and I've been tempted my own, myself as well, um, of this very thing. You put into, too quickly into church leadership, and it gets to your head, and you think you're this spiritual giant, and you forget that we serve a God who is sovereign over all things, and we are but dust in his eyes, and remembering that we're sinners saved only by grace. I uh, have one more Martha's Vineyard illustration, all right? So there's a picture. Um, one of the cool things about being at Martha's Vineyard, I got to hang out on the beach a little bit. That's where Jaws was filmed. So uh, we didn't see any great whites, sorry. Although I, there, there are great whites right there in, in Cape Cod. But there we are hanging out. Uh, it's not exactly where Jaws was filmed, don't get me wrong, but it was filmed at Martha's Vineyard. So there's my family just enjoying uh, the beach 
um, you know, thinking about Jaws there uh, briefly. But remember the movie Jaws? Uh, they, uh, what happens to the, the mayor of the town there? Um, he says, no, we never, nothing's going to happen. We're all fine. Oh, what is this shark stuff? This is nonsense. You guys take care of this. And he lets this pride set in. And he brings everybody to the beach. And he says, there's no issues. And even has his own kid out there playing in the beach. And then in the movie, the shark shows up. And only one, at that time, only one person gets killed. And afterwards, the mayor is humbled. And he's getting you know, yelled at by somebody else. And remember what the mayor says? My own kids were on that beach. He let his pride get to him. And it was almost his downfall. And so the, the newly converted person who's too quickly put into leadership is, is at risk of this very thing. There should be a certain humility. He says here about deacons, and it certainly would apply to elders in verse 10, let them be tested, let them serve as deacons, uh, excuse me, where is it? right before that, verse 9, that they hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they're firm, they're mature in the faith. Uh, they thought through some of the theological difficulties and issues, and they're walking with the Lord with sincerity. You know, they're no longer struggling with the doctrine of the Trinity. How can they be three in one? They've got that kind of, you know, that figured out, but they've got that, they affirm in their belief system. They know that Jesus is both God and man in some mysterious way. Fully God and fully man. Uh, they get that, even though there's a bit of a tension about it. They get that they're They understand the authority of the scriptures. They believe they're saved by God's grace and his grace alone through faith alone. Uh, they, they understand the mysteries of the faith and they're holding firmly to it. And we don't expect that of every Christian. Um, we, we get the fact that a church should be people at all different levels. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm still struggling with some of those things you mentioned, Pastor Rick, that's good. That's fine. You're, you're here in the church learning and thinking. That's what we want you to do. Work through those doubts. Work through those struggles and ask good questions. I, I just had a great meeting with somebody this last week just asking some of these tough questions about the church and about Christianity and about what we believe. We want this to be a place where you can have good, open conversation and you can express your doubts and talk about it and begin to figure out what the scriptures teach and what you believe. But for somebody who's serving as an elder or deacon, of course, we would expect that they've kind of worked through some of the basics of the faith already and they're firm in what they believe. There's one more, and that is only for elders, and that is the ability to teach. Uh, Notice that deacons here don't have to have the ability to teach. So all of our deacons here, don't worry. You don't have to preach a sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to make you stand up here and, or, or teach a class here. Uh, it's not necessary for deacons, but certainly it is for those who are overseers or elders of the church. Now we want someone who is able to take care of the church. And I think that's so important. Because I could get hit by a bus this week. I could die this week. And Mike's going to be having surgery tomorrow, so he's out too. So who's going to preach? You have to have... <coughs> These people who are willing and able to take care of the church, shepherd the church, who love the church and are devoted to it, and are willing to get up here and teach and make sure the word of God is taught and proclaimed and clearly known. Um, I think all of our elders have preached a sermon here, except Adam Sutton. So no pressure, Adam, but uh, you're next. So this summer, um, I'm going to Israel. I'm really excited about this trip to Israel. A number we had, I think we had, I think 14 folks going to Israel from our congregation in this trip. Um, and Adam Sutton will be one of the two preachers that will be filling in the pulpit. So pray for Adam and uh, give him some grace when he brings us the word because it's his first sermon. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to listen to the recording and, and see how Adam does. But as Adam has taught community groups and he's led us in prayer and all that. But It'd be great to see him up here in the pulpit too. Uh, the ability to teach doesn't mean that they are the people who are the primary teachers of the church, but they have the ability. 
They have that ability to step in and to serve in that way, if necessary. Some are called to be tested, to be mature, and to be able to teach. As we think about our church and its future, uh, this is not a side issue. Uh, This is not something unimportant. This is central to what we want to be in the future. We want to be a church filled with people who recognize that serving your local church in leadership is a good thing. It's a good thing. And with it comes certain blessings like assurance, like confidence in the faith as you serve the church. It's a noble task to give up your time and your energy and your effort to serve the Lord and His people. We want to see in the future, friends, people who are leaders who are continue to be good examples, who model what the Christian life is supposed to look like, who, who model to our congregation, this is what a Christian man looks like. This is the way he treats his wife. This is the way he treats his kids. This is what a Christian woman looks like. This is the way she loves people and she serves her church and the way she cares for others. This is the way he or she walks away from the temptations of over-drinking, of uh, greed, of money, of contentiousness or violence. People who are examples to the church family. And friends, of course, part of our vision of Jesus-centered community is to have people who have been tested and through the ups and downs of the Christian life, who are mature and solid in their belief in the mysteries of the faith, and people who are able and willing to teach and to handle the word, to bring it to his people. And Lord, help us as we seek his vision for the future to have Jesus-centered leaders. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious Father, I am truly grateful. We are truly grateful to you, Lord, for the local church, which is the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the local church is a miracle. It's something that would not exist, naturally speaking. It's something that only exists because your spirit has transformed men and women to believers in Jesus who follow you. And in that church, Lord, in the local churches, which exists all around the world by your grace, You call some to take the mantle of leadership and you call them to be examples to the church family. So I thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation, Lord, over its long 253 years. Lord, there have been good days and bad. You've given us some amazing leaders. I think of our founder even, particularly in his heart and passion for evangelism. As I mentioned last week, our centennial pastor of Augustus Strong and his depth of theology. There's also been some pastors who were on the brink of heresy in this church. There have been times of great church splits of pride and arrogance that have set in. And of course, in a church of this length of ages, 253 years, you would have a a checkered history. But we're thankful, Father, that through it all, you have sustained this body. You have sustained this church and this congregation to be here today. And the word is still proclaimed and your people are still seeking to follow you and to be exemplary in accordance with your word. Father, we thank you that the future looks promising and exciting for this church. And my prayer, my hope for this church has always been that this congregation will be here until Christ returns. Not necessarily these people in this room, it may be hundreds of years, who knows, but that First Baptist Church will exist on the day Christ comes back and brings us to himself. So Father, fill us with your spirit now. 
Fill us with the hope of eternal life in you. Encourage all who are here today, Lord, with this faith. And Father, we know, we know and we're confident that going forward, you are with us and you're leading the way. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.